I've hit the record button. The podcast has begun. Oh, okay. no. Can you hear me typing? Should I stop <laughs> Yes, writing? I can hear you typing. <laughs> yes, I can hear you typing. Jamie doesn't have his headphones on. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm going to keep typing until he puts it's it It's all right. I'll just, what we'll do is we'll cut this and it'll be a clever meta introduction to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Cine Skinny. That's right, we've just started the podcast. Okay, do I have to stop typing? Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Morbidly stop talk about typing. Yeah. That's ruining the audio. Yeah. yeah, you might get away with it if you just type silently, but the fact that you keep drawing attention to it. <laughs> Alright, on you go. Hello, welcome to the Cine Skinny. Things are going about as well as it sounds. <laughs> It's the film podcast from the incredibly professional team behind the Skinny Magazine. Uh, we are back at EHFM at Summer Hall because it's time for the Edinburgh Festivals, a big thing that happens in Edinburgh once a year. Isn't that right? Everyone's nodding. They're not really. That was just... <laughs> I was nodding. You were nodding. Yeah. Yeah. When you said that we were nodding, I don't want you to be a liar. An idiot, maybe, but a liar, <laughs> never. Um, so yeah, we're back at EHFM recording a very special preview episode for this uh, year's Edinburgh International Film Festival, which runs from the 18th to the 23rd of August. 18th to the 23rd of August. So EIFF is back under new auspices, which is very fun. It's smaller. And Jamie, it's moved. Why has that happened and where has it moved to? Well, part of it is because we lo no longer have, uh, unfortunately, the film house, which was a big, um, you know, had traditionally been the headquarters for the festival, was where everyone was based. It was the, kind of the hub for the festival. So it's going to be quite strange this year having an uh, in-life or in-person festival not at film house. So that'll be a bit sad. So hopefully somebody addresses that somewhere. Hopefully, you know, maybe there can be chats about uh, the, the film house and how that could maybe be brought back hopefully that's going to be part of the festival I think it might be actually in the Linda Miles section which is going to be talking about the uh, it's, it's an event at the festival which is going to be talking about the culture of Edinburgh and how it survives um, in the future so that could be something that's worth discussing with people um, but yeah otherwise it's going to be interesting it's going to be over in the east of the city is that right have I got my eye directions right it is going to be next yes like kind of east of the city centre it's going to be in near the adjacent to the St James Quarter. Yeah, so <laughs> you know the shopping centre that has somehow got itself to be named a quarter of Edinburgh. <laughs> so it's like yes, yeah, so you're going to be doing that little rat run between um, Lee Street. So you're going to be jumping from like the view to um, every man. That's where the screens are going to be. So it's going to be quite contained. Um, hopefully, the festival can create a kind of atmosphere around that area. Um, I'm really hoping that. And you know, every man is a nice cinema, so it's going to be a nice place to hang out. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that works. The view at the Omni is all right, but the uh, the street food bit downstairs, while a bit over-designed, is very good for um, between-screening things. So it will be very yeah. funny to watch people who've just come out of like quite arty uh, left-field films going downstairs and just absolutely powering through big piles of fried chicken. Oh, the fried chicken is good, though. In front of an enormous mural of a cartoon crocodile. Now, Peter, you're the That's festival culture. <laughs> Maybe you can suggest a good hub for the festival, Peter. Where do people are going to go to drink and talk about... Uh, where are the good pubs in that area? Well... The street? The basement? Where are we going to go? I think... The street? <laughs> the street's good. Like the actual street? The, 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 the bar the called the street. Called oh, okay. the street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, just take some tennies into the street. Pavement. It's yeah. legal. Well, bef well, before the gala screening of After Sun last year, we went to the 
basement. No, we didn't. We went to the basement or the outhouse. One of the two. I can't remember which one. The one that has the beer garden through the back. Oh, maybe the outhouse. Outhouse. Very nice beer garden. Go there. Joseph Pierce's is all right, but I find it's gone a little bit downhill recently. There was a really hot waiter at Joseph Pierce's that <laughs> I met, like, the day before lockdown. <laughs> And then I could never go back. Oh, this is like a romantic comedy. Like, this is start a meet you. But also, <laughs> but also, a wait- he's now unemployed. I was he lost say, his job. Yeah, a waiter, that, a waiter that you met the day before lockdown started. You know what? He's definitely going to be doing the same job as he was back then. Famously, not hospitality fared great during the lockdown and everything stayed exactly the same. Um, yeah, I don't know where you could really go to the pub round there. We'll work it out. It will happen so organically. This, yeah. People will work out where to It'll go. have to happen organically on this podcast as well, because I haven't prepared anything. So if I just start shouting out the names of pubs between the chat about films, then just... Just start typing. I yes. am <laughs> Googling Leith Street to remember. There's what that weird Arthur Conan Doyle pub. I've never actually been in there. Is oh, that, that just looks a, like such bad vibes. I think it's just like a chain, kind of chain pub. Okay. So not um, there. This is a real podcast by <laughs> professional <laughs> film writers. <laughs> Um, we could, this could be it for the next 40 minutes just talking about where we can have a paint after the films I mean there's fewer films to do it after though because it is a smaller programme oh he is trying to get us on track <laughs> <laughs> point out that they're trying to put you back on track laugh loudly <laughs> continue <laughs> it is a smaller festival you're right but then I think actually the quality of it is so much better because there is no room for any bad film. It feels like there's no filler in there. There's yet. no filler at all. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, I was really excited when they announced the program. It was so much stuff that I'd wanted to see. So much like stuff that was really buzzy out of like Sundance, out of Cannes as well, right? Uh, I think there's a few Berlin titles. I think, Berlin, maybe that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. But it's just yeah. like really exciting stuff. Yeah, it's a nice balance of stuff as well. And I, I actually think the retrospective stuff looks really good as well. Like the older films look excellent. They have kind of looked out a little bit in that you know, films, the kind of buzzy films that are coming out in September this year. So like films like A Fire and um, Passages and uh, Past Lives, like, uh, like you know, so it's, it's very good time for the festival actually. So hopefully, you know, maybe August is going to work out to be quite a good time for, for getting movies. Um, it hasn't been in the past, but I think um, this, this year it's kind of definitely worked that way. Yeah, and they're doing some interesting stuff with classic film festival type things. So they're doing an open air screening program, but instead of it being in St. Andrew's Square where everyone just watches Paddington again and then goes home when it starts raining, it's now at the old college quad and it's a mixture of like, they're doing partnered things with like Alchemy and with Hippodrome, Hippodrome Silent Film Festival. And they're doing various weird and cool things. Which are good to see, That's and also really the lovely. and the tickets for everything are cheaper than they have been in the past. That is key, I think. I think you're noticing actually a lot of the screens have sold out already, and I think very noticeably last year there was fewer screens sold out. So I think the ticket, the fewer, the lower ticket price, and just the the, the really good quality of the program is making a difference. Yeah, because what they did last year in a but what I would describe as a bold move uh, was said that you could have cheaper tickets as long as you bought them like eight at a time. Yeah, I remember um, that. And it's like, but there are not eight films I want to see. So. Yeah, that was lean. And it's yeah. August and everybody's booked up to do other things anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so catch you on the flip side. And so. then we almost didn't catch them on the flip side, but then they managed <laughs> to catch us on the flip side. Yeah. So it's looking good. Well, let's find out. So we're going to talk about four films from the programme. Uh, they all begin with F or F sounds. It turns out we realised in the office. <laughs> Apart from one, which does not begin with an F. <laughs> well... This may or may Ag- not be why we picked these Ag- films. I agree to disagree. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got four films from across the programme to talk about and we're going to kind of split 
duty on this because we were all very busy last week making a 120 page issue of the magazine and didn't have time to watch four films each oh, sue God, us no no, no. <laughs> if you try and sue us you won't win anyway first film we're going to talk about in typical idiosyncratic cine skinny fashion is the closing film of eiff which is fremont which is the new film from british iranian director babak jalali is it jalali or jalali <laughs> oh you did it is it jalali jalali like galilee yeah, so you the emphasis is always on the last syllable. Okay. So, Jalali. Jalali. Babak Jalali. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> um, and it stars uh, Anita Walizada, who is an Afghan journalist, and Greg Turkington off of Tim Heidecker's On Cinema at the Cinema thing, and Jeremy Allen White from The Bear is also in it, very briefly. <laughs> but what is it? I realised I read the second half of the synopsis before the first half. So... Donya is a young Afghan woman who worked as a translator for the US Army during the war in Afghanistan and is now trying to build a new life in California, working in a fortune cookie factory and living in Fremont, which has, I believe, the largest Afghan population of anywhere in the United States. Yeah. So it is a kind of like story of somebody trying to adapt to a new life in a place that they don't have much connection to and try to find different ways to like break through that kind of veil of not knowing where you are, who the people around you are, and trying to adapt to the life that you're now in. Uh, reminded me a lot of Limbo in terms mm. of like themes and delivery. But Anna, he, he said with a leading question to allow you to say some things about <laughs> Fremont, uh, a bit more minimal and a bit more internal than yeah. Limbo, I thought. Yeah, and I think maybe a bit less obviously funny or like less kind of I think a lot of what like Limbo did was it's kind of humor was really like wrapped up on almost like it's formalistic qualities of like the camera not moving and this has like a tiny bit more fluidity to it it really reminds me of and it's been like compared a lot to like Jim Jarmusch um so that kind of sense of absurdity of like kind of slow monotony um which actually really works for this film because it's like a very beautiful mood piece on kind of ideas of like loneliness and guilt which are quite like absurd ways of being like that kind of sense of isolation that sense that you're kind of trapped in time and that you can't like move forward and it's like a really like interesting way to approach this which isn't through this kind of lens of trauma which is often how we kind of explore immigrant stories but that is kind of thinking about what does it mean to kind of feel like you are chronically stuck and that there is kind of no way out of that because the conditions of your existence now just like lead to you being stuck and you see this in all kinds of ways. This comes out in her life. She has this like chronic insomnia, which is what leads her to Greg Turkington. She just wants sleeping pills to be able to go to sleep. And they have like this really funny, sweet dynamic where he keeps trying to compare her life to like Call of the Wild. And she's like, can you just give me some pills? <laughs> and it's he, just like yeah. charming. It's he, sweet. He's obsessed with, um, yeah, he's obsessed with White Fang initially, the Jack London book. And he has an incredible line where he just says, guess which immigrant hero I love the yeah. most? And then pauses for what must be about four or five seconds. Yeah, um, yeah he and he's one of these... I think the thing about his character is he initially seems like he's just being a weird, out-of-touch psychiatrist. Mm. But actually it's revealed that he has worked with a lot of people from who have come from Afghanistan or who were involved in things like what um what Donya was involved in like translation for 
an army that comes to where you are and then you move off and how do you feel about that afterwards? Yeah, for so, sure. So his weird idiosyncratic methods kind of work? They kind of work. And yeah, I think the film like really does accrue significance when you realise that Fremont is the place that has the largest like Afghan American population. Um, and they've been coming for ages. They've been coming since like the 1979 Soviet invasion. And there are all these waves. And I think a really interesting thing about this film is it was ready to shoot before the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened and it shot, it got shot last year, I think. Um, and obviously in that intervening period, the Taliban took over Afghanistan. Um, and so there are kind of tweaks to the film and to her story um, that kind of make it clear that she has come over since like part of the kind of wave of refugees that came over after the Taliban regained power. But just, yeah, the sense that it is like this ongoing process for so many people that isn't just this one point of crisis, it is ongoing crisis. And yeah, just her like guilt about it, that like she has worked for the army, the US army, but what do you do in that situation when there are no other jobs? When I think the US army just like took over everything. It just like grapples with these questions in a really interesting way, I think. And it has a lot of compassion. I think it's very telling that in this film when bad things happen, they happen because someone is just being slightly unkind. And I thought that was really, yeah, just a really beautiful way of doing it because it just brings out like the compassion that these characters have. So her boss at the fortune cookie factory is like really kind to her. There's like the bear that she meets, like Jeremy Allen White's character. Like he's kind of a dumb bitch. Like he's like a white like man, really. Like he's kind of like, oh, are there loads of you like Afghanistanis? (laughs) Sorry, babe. (laughs) But like, (laughs) am I wrong? Like, you know, he's like saying all this stuff, but it's not coming from a mean place. And it is about like how you find connection even across these points of like friction. And yeah, just a film that really centers compassion and that thinks about these kind of very like difficult points with like a kind of overwhelming sense of like warmth, which I I just really liked it. I thought it was really lovely. It is really good. It is very, like I said at the start, it's quite minimal Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite, it's really quiet. Yeah. well actually like as very minimal kind of like soundtrack that's a lot of jazzy woodwind and oud um <laughs> the classic combo two great tastes that go great together um but yeah it is um it's quite a minimal and quite like internal comparatively slow film i'm surprised it's a weird choice of closing film if you ask me yeah um, in terms of like let's go for a party but after Yang was also quite like intense. Yeah, well, maybe that's just how they do it in maybe film festivals. Maybe films are like sad. <laughs> maybe films are sad. Who'd have thunk it? But yeah, it is like it's funny and yeah, kind of insightful and interesting and looks amazing. It's a good fun time. Yeah, she is great as well. I was watching like interviews with her, and she was a journalist that came over after I think the Taliban um, regained power. She didn't speak speak much English. Much like me. <laughs> she didn't. But who's to judge? That's the thing. <laughs> didn't speak much English when she kind of first came over and they were like auditioning her and helping her with. And I just think, yeah, there's something. It's just like really, I think he's made something very special and very like kind of small but important. So Fremont is on on the 23rd of August at The View at 7.45. So that was, <laughs> that's Fremont. Very good. Go and see it. The most interesting thing about Fremont is that we can't stop saying in a franchise. Fremont. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this yeah. So many back and forth of like bonjour, je voudrais un billet pour le film Fremont. Avec l'homme parle on cinema at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, <laughs> uh, you're always having fun when you're saying French. Right. <laughs> Who's next? Oh, well, actually, French, good segue. Accidentally, brilliant segue into Femme. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is the next film we're going to talk about. Is that French? Where's, well, it's a French word. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's a French word. It shows up in English words as well. Yeah, but... Things continue to be going well. <laughs> do you not have a degree in French? <laughs> I do, but the film isn't in French. That's yeah. the point I'm trying okay. to make. Also, it would be femme, actually, not femme. So femme is English. Okay. okay. Thank you. Anahit Anna has a degree in French and we're all professional journalists. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, fe- so femme. Jules, who's played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, is a super confident young gay man from London who performs as a drag queen named Aphrodite. All his confidence and joy is rocked one night when he's out buying some cigarettes after a show, still in drag, and is beaten up by a homophobic thug called Preston, who's played by George Mackay. And then months later, Jules sees Preston at a gay sauna and quickly realises that he has the ideal opportunity to get a bit of revenge. Lewis and Jamie, you both watch this. I'll go to you, Jamie, first. What did you think of this film? Yeah, I was really impressed with this. It's a debut film uh, from Sam Freeman and Ng Chung Ping. And yeah, it's just a really dark, uh, just twist noir that um, is playing with gender, but it's also playing with genre as well. So the plot is quite familiar. It's like basically, you know, like like you're saying, like a revenge thriller mixed with a kind of sleeping with the enemy story. And, you know, these are plots we've seen a million times before, but what makes Femme feel fresh I think is that you know well just simply because it's a psychosexual thriller based on uh, or centred on gay men which I haven't really seen before so it's a kind of film I don't want to say too much about in f- for fear of just spoiling it but initially the film seems to be about gay trauma and about homophobia which is again is something that's familiar to um, LGBT cinema but as it goes along it just becomes really kind of thorny and it asks some really interesting questions about kind of toxic masculinity, about like the performance of uh, gender, which I think makes it a kind of much more kind of current film and much more kind of maybe a kind of a broader appeal as well. So yeah, like I said, I don't want to spoil stuff, but Jules and Preston, they begin this really kind of fucked up relationship, which initially, you know, is just them meeting for passionless sex um, that usually ends with Jules being humiliated. But the roles between the men, you know, just slowly and subtly shift um, through each meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and like I say, the, the film explores what it means to be mask and femme. And Jules, you know, he, he, you know, he has to at times put on a kind of more masculine sort of brewy performance um, in front of Preston's friends. And it's interesting, just like, as a performance by these actors how easily you know because you've got actors who are acting as characters who are acting in the film which is always really interesting to watch because you can see really how good actors are like actors who <laughs> perform acting you can see actually how you can mm. they're, they're very clearly showing two things happening at once which is just really interesting i think it is always um, very impressive to watch good bad acting someone who can act convincingly as somebody who doesn't know how to act yeah yeah, yeah. well this is an actor acting well as something he is not but you can see the layers Act, if that, if acting that enough that we can all tell that this is in character acting by the actor who is acting as the character who is acting. Yes, it's Russian dolls. Lots of <laughs> Russian dolls going on. But it's like, it, but it makes it incredibly tense because he's put on this performance. You know, it's will he get away with it? And then there's also the question of will he, um, like slip and sort of accidentally outpressing. So he has this kind of power, it's this power shift, essentially. So like, he he has all the power over pressing. He knows his secret. And once he knows his secret, he can do with it what he wills. So he, so that's, there's two tensions going on. Will 
something happened to Jules because he's lying and will something happen to Preston because Jules holds his secrets so it's like yeah it's, I thought it was a nail biter really really tense it looks fantastic um, London has really looked better it's like you know it's all sort of rainy and sort of neon lit it's like a lot of sort of nighttime scenes it looks really cool it looks really impressive reminds me a little bit of like a Michael Mann sort of shoot that's the kind of vibe I was getting um, I actually interviewed the directors and they mentioned that the influence was um good time so so i wouldn't say it's it's, it's some good time in terms of its content but in terms of its style i think that's actually quite a good comparison you know sort of like you know <laughs> edge of your seat like you can't breathe during some scenes and uh, yeah it just looks great yeah um, i think it's doing like the whole thriller thing really really well particularly from like a tonal standpoint you know like you said a lot of it occurs at night woods of neon lights but also we have these characters who have fragmented identities and they're sort of like putting on these big performances as people that they're not and that's very key to I think like the noir the noir genre but it's like other than a tone thing it's a script thing too right like no, like going in you you know the synopsis you understand that this is going to be about an exchange of violence you're going to watch people getting hurt both physically and sort of mentally um, and you might go in with a good idea of who's going to get hurt in what way but I was so not expecting the different characters to bring out such an emotional response in me. I mean, we've already talked about like Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who I'll always remember as Curtis from Misfits. Yeah. He's fantastic in that. I also saw him in a National Theatre Live performance uh, in Angels in America as Belize, and he has this great energy throughout. He he has all this confidence that is very believable for someone who would enact this unbelievably elaborate and somewhat sadistic revenge plot but at the same time he is very convincingly out of water when he's surrounded by aggressive straight men and then on the other hand you have uh you have george Mackay, who like you know has the, the the sort of weedy guy from 1917 like the wallflower from pride and he's the exact opposite from how you've ever seen him he's such a good actor he totally falls into it but yeah it gives you this like i i, I was surprised by how much i was like entangled in their like completely destructive relationship i would say that yeah like it, it kind of it's one of, this is one of those circumstances where i'm really annoyed at how we can't talk about the spoilers because the fine the ending of this film left me so distraught i was so on the edge of my seat i was really wondering where it was going to go i wouldn't have been able to predict it and then i had to like go around town the rest of the day with this film <laughs> in my head being like oh my god i'm like emotionally wrecked by it so yeah i think that like from a tonal standpoint and also from like the performances the script it's just like a real round it's just a real roller coaster it, and and like you say it manages to do that whilst bringing forward all these really interesting questions uh about um queerness uh like you know how discretion has been historically an object to queer joy but here where we're trying to entrap someone it's now an object to queer vengeance and it's like you know under what circumstances or is it okay to you know to try and expose a closeted gay man is it because he's an immediate danger to other gay men and that's the thing is like the film really encourages you to think carefully about these things and draw your own conclusions i wouldn't say that it definitively sets camp in, in either and either answer but i do think that it's like a a level of queer discourse that i've not seen in films in a really really long time yeah and it could easily have just made Preston a monster but what's interesting is how it says everyone is a subject is a bit, actually kind of similar to barbie in that way that barbie is about how both men and women are 
sort of subject to the patriarchy. This is also saying that you know, mass guys, femme guys, straight guys, gay guys are also subject to the patriarchy and have to kind of fit within these like predefined uh, spaces. And yeah, it, it really plays with that really well. And yeah, I, I think George McKay does a great job of both being terrifying, like very aggressive and tough, but there is a kind of softness. And that might just be because I know him for, for things like Pride and, um, you know, his other roles where he is a bit more softer. Um, so yeah, I think he's doing a kind of great thing. But again, like I say, everyone's sort of working on these levels where they're all playing, playing roles. Mm-hmm. And that's what's uh, fascinating about the film. It's like an elevated performance from George Mackay where the entire time he has this really aggressive, hyper-masculine, like defensive attitude. Really scary, like you say. He, he you know, conducts this horrible violence against people. And yet you can still get the idea that he is somewhat mentally trapped somewhere, that he's like living a life he doesn't want to lead or is you know like that 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 Nathan Stewart Jarrett's character has some kind of an impact on him where he begins to reconsider things and that's what makes it so like emotionally tense because you realize not just is this revenge plot progressing nicely but like the characters themselves are being changed by it so so femme is on on Sunday the 20th of August at the Everyman at 8:45 and it's also on on the Monday afternoon at half 3 at the Omni I hear from these two that it's very, very good. So you should go and check it out. That's two for two so far. Things are going well. They are going well. Let's see if it keeps up. Well, let's see if it does keep up. Uh, with, <laughs> with the, I've seen Peter's notes. <laughs> We're professional film journalists. <laughs> so, third film, Variety. Betty Gordon from 1983, and this is screening as part of the EIFF retrospective strand. So... It follows a New Yorker called Christine, who's played by Sandy McLeod, completely broke and out of desperation, takes a job at a Times Square porn theatre to help pay the bills. Quickly, she becomes fascinated by this place, the films and the clientele, and particularly becomes obsessed with one of Variety's patrons and begins following him around New York on his mysterious business errands. I didn't write that. Is that a euphemism or...? No, I haven't. Se- like, I have literally. Oh, okay. I I <laughs> haven't. I haven't seen this film, but Anna Heat has. <laughs> I have. What did you think of it? And uh, its mysterious business errands. <laughs> I actually have a lot of thoughts on the mysterious business errands. Yeah, I thought this was really atmospheric and very beautiful and like weird and grimy and interesting. Like it felt like a very like frictiony film. I feel when I was very little, there were all of these films about like how seedy and grim New York was. Um, And I actually couldn't tell you what a single one of them was called, but that was just like the overwhelming impression I had. Oops, sorry. (laughs) I knocked a spring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Should I start again? (laughs) I think you just carry on. I not the string sounds like a euphemism as well. <laughs> For what? <laughs> um, anyway, I couldn't tell you what any of them called, but it was just like this overwhelming impression I have. And then New York got, got gentrified and it just felt like things about New York were suddenly like very shiny, very sweet, very like whatever, very like romanticized. And this felt like a very old school version of what New York is. Um, and in that way, it's like such an interesting kind of period piece. So yeah, it's about this girl that like starts working in a porn cinema. I find the idea of porn cinema so interesting <laughs> because it really is like blurring that line, right, between like the public and the private. So that is a thing that especially now we consider a very like private activity of consumption, right? That's something that you do quite secretly in like your room, on your laptop. Um, I, 
this is what I hear people do. <laughs> Not me. Um, I, like the, I like the way that before we were like euphemism, euphemism, and you're just like straight up. Like, I you know, you know when you... I actually don't do it. I don't know why I'm well, actually... Well, they're likely stuff. They're around, they're around for a very long time because... I mean, it's very topical because rest in peace, Paul Rubens, he mm -hmm. got kind of blacklisted a little bit because he was caught in a pond theatre, right. you know, having fun. And they know? are like a thing, right? And I find the idea that that was how you used to consume porn really, really interesting. And it is also quite a cinematic thing. I think it's a plot point in the Pelican Brief of all films that like one of them is in like a porn cinema and then someone gets assassinated. <laughs> Spoilers for the Pelican Brief. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... But anyway, it's just like a very interesting kind of like locus. And I think especially the things that Betty Gordon is considering, which is this like act of like voyeurism and cinema's voyeurism. What does it mean to like look at and be looked at? Um, and the fact that this stuff, which we think of as like very voyeuristic, very kind of private, like quite shame filled thing used to happen in like the public space. I think there's just like a really interesting investigation into that. I thought the main actress was really good, very, very vibey. Nan Golden is in this as like a kind of bar server person. But was it actually at the bar that she used to work at? Like, was that where it was? Her character's name is Nan. And the character's name so is it's Nan. Like... And she used to work in a bar. I think I remember that from All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Um, so it's just like very kind of, yeah. And I thought those scenes actually were really interesting. There's this really beautiful bit where she's talking to a sex worker and they're talking about how like they were basically entrapped by the police and it's just very like yeah these kind of the underground of New York and the ways that it was exploited it, that's really good I found the business dealings to go on to the business dealings I found that a little bit more boring like I kind of wish it stayed a little bit more in that kind of cinema space and these kind of workers I did not get why she was so obsessed with this man I thought he was quite boring he did buy her a Diet Coke at one point so actually maybe that would also work on me <laughs> but other than that like she is just kind of and that's meant to kind of build attention but I actually found there was more tension within the very kind of like fabric of what she was doing and the bits where she's kind of wandering around you can like hear the porn films in the background but no one is seeing or saying anything there are also these fucking amazing scenes where her very straight laced boyfriend is trying to play pinball for 10 full minutes and she is just narrating <laughs> porn at him like deadpan and that is iconic behavior and I'm gonna start doing that it's so up. like that bit was like really I like those bits the bit with the businessman I was like why is this man here yeah I think you've like um kind of identified something really right there which is that this is a this is fascinating for its like historicity really mm. is that it's like capturing a moment in New York that doesn't exist anymore but also it's still so prescient today what you've described as working in a porno theater as a ticket taker being this kind of boundary between public and private what was really interesting to me was to see that like for me personally i would consider that i wouldn't consider that sex work i would consider it sex work adjacent mm. but in the way that her boyfriend is off put and estranged by this it leads you to understand that the patriarchy just views sex work adjacent as sex work yeah and that's what brings her together with all these characters in these great little scenes where we're just like a fly on the wall in this bar and it's someone who's like getting into the nitty gritty details of sex work being like, well, you can like, they say it in such like a normal, like natural way as well. It's like, oh, well, you can dance topless if you want, but if you don't want to dance topless, you can be in films. But if you're in films, you make a lot of money, but then they kind of control you. And it's like, I love that. The uh, the meme, the Gordon Ramsay meme was like, finally some good fucking sex work discourse, <laughs> except it's a film that's 40 years old. Cause you don't see stuff like that in films anymore as much really. 
But like, yeah, the casualness with which like police brutality or misogyny is described means that it's not talking down to viewers and it's it remains really prescient. The second half of the film is really dominated by this like intrigue, I guess, of her becoming the stalker of this businessman of like this guy who's obviously trying to woo her but he's keeping stuff from her so she sort of like prowls after him and the idea that she's inherited this boldness from the male gaze uh, cultural artifact she's been exposed to i think like there's an interesting thing there but you're right it probably did go on a little bit too long and it started to feel maybe like um you know there's like really like schlocky like pulp magazines that are all erotica like you know uh ingenue moves to the big city and becomes sex queen or something like that like it felt very much like there was some sort of transference of ideals happening because of the liminal space of the movie theater but um yeah like i was more interested to see how she like really sort of like offhandedly describes the kind of films that she's seen at this theater to her boyfriend and it's really impossible to discern his reaction but yeah the, the the best part of the film by far is these like prolonged really beautiful shots where she's just in her apartment by herself checking her messages having a beer or like sitting with her friends it embraces the kind of voyeurism of cinema like it it allows you to just watch someone in their own space and they don't have a place to be they don't have anything dynamic going on there's no men there's no male gaze and it's just like i don't know it's very it's very realistic it's very realism Nan Golden's there. <laughs> it's a great time. Also, Luis Guzman, who's the newest Gomez Adams, is there, yeah. and he's all right. He shows up for oh, a bit. Yeah, that is he's him. like the coworker at the at the Jose. movie theater. Yeah, yeah Jose. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and he's kind of like a loudmouth, and like we don't really care about him as a character. <laughs> but but it's like a really interesting film. It's just all these faces, and they're just doing something that you don't get the chance to see in film very often. And yet, despite the fact that it's such an artifact, it still feels incredibly relevant. Yeah, I was reading that she was inspired by um, Vertigo and just other films where mm. men get obsessed with women and follow them around. So, like that's that was kind of part of the influence. Like, uh, you know, she's following this man around for no re- re- reason other than she's become obsessed. But I kind of like those scenes because there's something really vibey about them, and also it was just really kind of funny because the guy is walking into all these kind of male-only spaces. So the like the porn theater is men only, um, and all the men are really sort of. You'd think they'd be like perving her, but actually they're just a little bit embarrassed that she's there because they're like, like coming out of the theater zipping at their flies and oh shit, there's a woman there. And they're like these these men who go to porn because basically they can't talk to women, and mm. as soon as they see her, they get a bit like freaked out. But it's but the the guy she's following, I think he's called Lewis. Um, he goes to like goes to like sex shops. He goes to like um like the docks to like a fish market, and there's all these men around. And she just kind of disrupts this space because she's not like interested in the men at all. She's interested in this one person she's following, and the men are just all confused about why this woman's here. And it's never sure if they're like it was like street photography or something because they're just like she's walking through, and all these men are just looking at her like like startled. Um, and I don't know if they're looking at her because they think there's a film happening. It's, it's just quite unclear. But I just liked that kind of like the fact that she was so focused, and like yeah, to see to, and I guess like at the time it would have been quite radical just to see just to follow a woman following a man like that's yeah. like so different from what we'd be seeing. And I guess like like you're saying those those kind of grimy like New York films were all from men. Like, you know, it was all Abel Ferreira or Mark Scorsese. You know, like. Mm. Taxi driver is a good example. Like yeah. that's he's like that's him watching people on the street. He actually goes to a, a porn theater um, with Betty on a first date. You know, like so it's like it's like maybe making her version of that as well. So yeah, I, I found this amazing. I just thought it was so grimy and cool and. Had you seen it before, Jamie? No, no, I just watched it last night and I was like gripped. It was fantastic. Yeah, 
I was uh, I'm reminded of um Sylvia Plath had a quote I can't remember it exactly about how like how much she laments the one thing she laments the most about living in a patriarchal society is her inability to just walk around and be places and see things happening because where she went where she lived at this particular time or growing up and 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 as well to a certain extent in many places in the world today it's like women can't just walk around in these like seedy dark places and just like observe what's going on and see what's happening and who's who like it's something that you have to be incredibly conscious of if you're walking by yourself in new york in the 70s or the 80s and you're a woman but um yeah this this film by having this kind of like atmosphere wherein the character seems completely disconnected from the setting around her or indeed like the men this is the one type of woman that the men don't want to stare at, a real life woman, a woman in front of them, that actually enables her in some kind of like supernatural way to just, uh, yeah, engage in this fantasy and like turn the tables on men and, and look at them. There's a great montage where it's just like men's hands shaking as they like conduct be- their deals in like different parts of New York City. And we just see that while she's listening to this like sleep well hypnosis tape. And it's the idea that, yeah, that, that the, the gaze being reflected back on them as opposed to where she works which is the the porno theater yeah also agree the monologues were hilarious like because mm-hmm. that's the thing the, the porn <laughs> that we see glimpse of is so like tawdry mm. but her like uh monologues are so ripe they're like totally like victorian like or not victorian like like a sort of medievalism like it's all about like snakes and like <laughs> yeah. uh like I mean, bodices being wrapped it's, her like, character is like meant to be a writer so i wondered if yeah. that was meant to be not her summarizing the films she's seen but like taking what she'd seen in these films to influence her writing and was like presenting erotica to her boyfriend for his so dispassionately yeah like Like, he didn't he's just playing pinball he he's like i can't we don't even know if they're still together at this point for all we know they've broken up and she just follows him around yeah just relaying like like romantic stories to him but there's also like a close-up of like two minutes on his arse as he just bangs this uh pinball machine as well so again it's like the the female gaze is like Mm. just employed in a very interesting way so yeah it's cool so variety is on on the 20th of august sunday at 2 20 p.m at the omni center so go and check it out it's very good i hear i've not watched it but everyone else seems to enjoy it Uh, i will say it's also coming to gft after it plays at eiff so you can see it if you're not through in edinburgh excellent one for people in glasgow okay so that's three good ones so far now for the fourth one so (laughs) so a fire is the new film from christian petzold uh, where a sad sack writer named Leon heads with his friend Felix to a holiday home by the Baltic Sea. He's looking for peace and quiet to finish his second novel. Felix is looking for the chance to work on his art school portfolio. When they arrive, the place is double booked and uh, Nadia is living there. She's kind of carefree woman who works in the town nearby and she's shacked up with the local lifeguard David. Leon is miserable with the situation. Everyone else is getting on like a house on fire. Meanwhile, there is a literal fire uh, raging in the mid distance as forest fires are slowly engulfing this bit of Germany. Thomas Schubert plays Leon, Paula Beer, Langston Weebel, and Enno Trebs are also in it. Jamie, I believe you like this film. Go on. <laughs> tell, yes. tell me why. I did like it. I thought it was really engrossing and very funny and quite unlike Petzold. Like, um, it, yeah, it's quite different from all his films. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think Thomas Schubert is like 
like hilarious. Uh, he's he, he plays this kind of grumpy, miserable writer who basically just doesn't know how to have fun. Um, he's in this kind of beautiful forest with these beautiful people who are drinking wine and eating delicious goulash and like having sex with each other. And he's just there like behind his laptop, grumpy, pretending to write this great masterpiece and thinking, he, you know, he's above it all. Um, but of course, he's insanely jealous and annoyed that he's not at the centre of attention. So it's a film that's centred around a narcissistic dickhead basically who's petty and envious and pretentious and an utter snob but the joy of the film is just seeing him be incredibly uncomfortable and i think there's something about Schubert's, like as an actor um he's just incredibly likable you know despite playing this dick um so part of it is, is i think is actually his physicality you know he doesn't he he looks like like a writer you know he looks like a he's pale he's a bit chunky he's he's wearing like ill-fitting clothes he's always like wearing his... all the writers do <laughs> <laughs> how many times have i said this we're well, professional journalists well if you spend all your if you spend all your day at a typewriter you're not going to be like suntanned and buff are you i'm suntanned i left <laughs> <laughs> if you spend you're, you're uh, the exception i've not seen and also, if you spend all day, if you spend all your days at a typewriter, you'd have really, really strong wrists, yeah. strong fingers, strong yeah, fingers. muscular fingers. It's <laughs> ripping a pineapple in half. But you know what I mean? He's like, um, he, he's just really uncomfortable. He's like, he's always wearing his like jacket. He's on the beach and he's wearing a shirt and a jacket, and everybody else is walking around their like, bathing suit, and he just feels uncomfortable. He's it's like, uh, but there's something like um, warm about him as well. Like so this fact that you feel sorry for him a little bit even though he is an absolute arsehole. Um, so it's a kind of cringe comedy in a way that muses on creation. It muses on like that, you know, the creative process. Leon is, Leon is trying to write this novel called Club Sandwich. And there's a suggestion that it's not very good. And Leon probably knows it's not good, you know, and there's a total cringeworthy scene where his author, uh, not his author, his editor comes to visit and starts reading it out. And, you know, it's just bad. So it, it kind of, it plays with that. It plays with that idea of like, you're a writer who's made a good book and then what happens when you can't write a second one, you know? Um, and then, so if he doesn't have writing, what else has he got? Because he can't, like, have fun either. And he's just, like, stuck in this situation where he doesn't know what to do. So, yeah, I, I found it very appealing. Um, also, it's just full of, like, good pets old kind of in-jokes, you know? Like, uh, well... The, the, the book you write is called Club Sandwich and Pexel's second film was called Club, Cuba, uh, Cuba Libra which is a little, kind of similar but also that was a flop you know so he said like oh he doesn't you know he doesn't know what he was doing with his second film it was really bad so he, I think there's a, he's a little bit of himself in that character I think it's kind of a little bit autobiographical I would imagine so I thought that this film had some good points it's very summary the cinematography is lovely and all of the performances are really really good the problem i had with this film is that it kind of didn't for me it didn't do enough of any of the individual things that it was trying to do so all sort of like melded together like this guy is a bam right you tell me that look at this guy who is really down and a bit depressed and obsessed with his work and a bit snide to people you tell me that's what the film's about and this is the guy you bring me this guy is insufficiently a bam i'm gesticulating wildly but it's not being picked up on the audio like maybe i'm just used to your kind of like to basically to british cringe comedy where it's your people like your mark corrigan's your alan partridge's where it's the person is so irredeemable as a shitbag that i'm like that is the standard that i set for somebody who goes into into social situations and makes things catastrophically awkward and then leaves without solving anything the kind of ins one of the main kind of like inciting incidents for like a bit of drama in the thing in the, the thing the film is that they're having a conversation and uh 
Leon's just being a bit snide to David about being a lifeguard, but not in a particularly like abrasive way. And then Felix is like, that's enough. You've said to leave the poor boy alone. And I'm like, if this is what you think, if this is what you think getting a slag in is, then I'm really sorry. But like, you have a lot to learn, my friend. Um, I felt like it was just a film that kind of hedged its bets a bit. Like there is kind of social tension in the group and there's like sexual tension in the group and there's environmental tension between like what's going on in the house and what's going on outside. But there's not enough of any of it for it to actually be tense. I didn't feel. I felt that like they kept breaking the sexual tension by having sex with each other. Like this is not helping me enjoy yeah. the film. <laughs> but the key is, but, 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 you would never go to the cinema but, variety. But the, but the key is, no one's having sex with Leon. That's the point. That is true. But then he's not enough of a dick about it for it to be a problem. And then at the end, it smashes the massive jarring tonal shift button so hard that like you can hear a jump and like bits of plastic flying everywhere. Like the tonal like it like Vin Diesel would be proud of the gear shift and sudden acceleration that this film puts in well, my god well you know but the thing is the film is full of those tonal shifts well like there's little plot twists that happen and reason, the reason that happens is because it's all from Leon's point of view so Leon is this guy who's a writer right who sits back and observes the world but he's really bad at observing the world like he doesn't see what's going on around him for example his friend Felix is gay obviously <laughs> and we all know that Everyone knows that apart from him until he starts shagging David. Like, he's just like, so, so, like, he's like, but he seems shocked. Like, the guy tried to pick you up like five minutes earlier. You know, he's just a guy who's oblivious. So, Pauline Bear's character obviously fancies Leon. Leon has no clue that this is going on. Um, you know, just like, he's, he's just oblivious. Um, and that's kind of what the film does. It, it makes everyone else oblivious. So, you get this fire happening in the background that no one can see is coming, or Leon certainly can't see. And then when it arrives, pigs are on fire you know like that's that's how it happens um and i think it's you know it's clearly a metaphor for the world like we have this kind of catastrophe around about us and we're too concerned with our own little uh you know podcasts or books or whatever you know you know that, <laughs> don't that, say books and wave at me <laughs> what have i done yeah <laughs> i mean i was talking about leon's book but you know what i mean it's like um yeah it's like it's like a, it's a film where like it is like a bit catastrophe and these people are just too busy having a nice summer holiday to notice you know uh -huh. and I think that's you know it's sort of to me pointing towards the world you'd think if it was a film about a socially awkward writer who constantly misses things that people are saying I would love it but it turns <laughs> out not so much Lewis you were about to say something before I, I decided to, to be pithy well I'm also going to be pithy even though I've not seen the film I'm just jumping on the bad bandwagon I want to kick it when it's down but um yeah like I, I would have thought that like if it's a film that's about this sort of like this environmental fallacy of like the world's burning around people and they, they're too busy caught up in their own bullshit to notice. I think that metaphor doesn't exactly work because I think the big problem with like climate disaster is that the people who are not paying attention are ones who have actual, like, it's bad because the people who are not doing anything about it are in positions where they could make change. I don't blame myself for climate change, really. I think if I could do something more about it, I would. I think but I think that we're like all, all responsible. Anyway, I think we're all that's, responsible in a way, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't particularly sound appealing to me in a jaw, in a film about someone who's just kind of bad at their job and for unrelated reasons everything goes all fucked up he's bad at his job and he's bad at life um but in, in my <laughs> but, but in my but in my mind insufficiently so to, to grab my interest yeah well i thought it was very funny and uh i, I agree that maybe the ending doesn't all tie together perfectly but um i i, I found it really enjoyable well, sometimes on these things, much like in the film A Fire, you just have to agree to disagree. And we'll just see which of us 
redacted spoiler for the ending of a fire. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really work as a, as a sign off, so I'll just do another one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, we'll leave that in. Right. So. <laughs> Are in the cars of your conviction. <laughs> yeah, stand by your stupid decision. <laughs> um, so a fire is on at the Omni Center View on the 22nd of August, which is the Tuesday at half past six. The quarter past six one is sold out. So clearly people think this sounds like a good film. And it's also <laughs> on on Wednesday the 23rd at 2 p.m. I can also just say, I saw this in New York. I don't know if I mentioned I've been to New York. Good but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, and Christoph Petzl did a Q&A and uh, just go for his Q&A because he is hilarious. Like, really? like, it, it, like you wouldn't think it because like I, I have just seen his earlier films and they're all about like, like Germany's history and they're all really bleak and tragic but he is a riot and he, he tells some very funny stories and the funny thing about it is he had a translator with him and the translator did not say a word he comes on and says oh yeah my English is terrible and then he just proceeds to tell these amazing like you know, it's just a raconteur. He tells amazing anecdotes about like Abbas Kiristami and like the <laughs> shoot and stuff like that he's, he's, a, he's, he's a very good listen so uh, if he's doing a Q&A turn up and go to it Good stuff. So that's a partial recommendation for a fire. Good job, everybody. So before we go, let's briefly recommend some more things that we haven't necessarily seen, but sound good. <laughs> Again, professional podcasters, professional film journalists having a great time out here on the pod. So who wants to go first and recommend something from the program? I can go first so that the one film that I've seen, <laughs> someone else won't steal. The Passages... Um, which is the new, speaking of Christian Petzold, um, his often collaborator, Franz Rogowski, has a new film. Um, it's a very sexy, very, not silly, but like these people are making bad decisions, you know? Like just like nonstop, wall to wall bad choices. Um, starring, yeah, Franz, Franz Rogowski, uh, Ben Wishel, and Adele Exashopoulos. And they are in a very horny, weird little threesome love triangle situation and it's really sexy really good he wears a lot of crochet i want to wear crochet oh my god the outfits are fantastic the outfits are so good everyone looks hot everyone's having a lot of sex they probably shouldn't be <laughs> <laughs> it's not going well for them but they are doing it they're committing um so that's really fun and then i'm also really excited by kelly reichardt's um showing up which like sees her reunited with Michelle Williams and is just about like kind of art and making art and creativity and yeah sounds very like on point for all of us I was going to mention the Kelly Reichardt one but now that we have we can move on to Lewis oh no I mean, no, <laughs> cut my bit and then you can do it no 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 that won't be necessary okay <laughs> except to add that Andre 3000 is also in the I Kelly Reichardt film there we go teamwork nice. Lewis go um, I mean I've not seen any other of the films in the festival there's some that I'm interested in seeing there's like a Chuck Chuck Baby which is about a um, a, a woman who works at a, a chicken packaging factory and like her childhood love comes back to town and they kind of like I don't know they like sort of unite the, the big working class community with their their uh, I don't know their like rekindled romance which um, just sounds like a lot of fun there's a lot of animated films that I want to see as well. I'm looking at the program now. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so long. I probably should have done this in advance, really. <laughs> Jamie, do you want to go while Lewis keeps well, scrolling? Well, there's art film 
1999 or 1994, I think, which is yeah. near the front, if that's one of them. And also the the first slam dunk. So it's an alpha. You were talking about the first slam dunk earlier, yeah. Uh, if that helps finding <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they all look interesting. There's loads of them. I, I always try and check out animated films at film festivals just because I know a bunch of animators. But yeah, I mean, like, first slam, slam dunk seems interesting. There's a list of short films, uh, short animated films, um, which also seems cool. Sorry, I should have been more prepared. This is my fault. It's all right. We're move all, on, we're move all on. doing. <laughs> we're all doing a fantastic job. Jamie, bring it home. Uh, well, I was going to say Passage as well, but since Annie's done such a great job of uh, plugging it, Thanks. but I will say very hot, very sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whew. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think I've just got really into the retrospectives. Of it, so I loved variety. So I'm going to also uh, shout out to the retrospectives. And um, there's Tokyo Pop, which is by Fran Rubel uh, Kurzu. Um, this is a, a film about it's a New York City punk meets a Tokyo rocker um, what I'm interested is she is the director of Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie um, which is a film I've always had a, a huge fondness for um, and obviously it got eclipsed by the huge TV show that uh, it spawned but the film is great and I am uh, looking forward to, I didn't know she'd actually made any more films uh, and I'm looking forward to this one this looks a bit more kind of like obviously underground and interesting um, there's also one uh, called Life is Cheap Toilet Paper is Expensive really great name <laughs> Uh, it's from uh, the independent filmmaker Wayne Wang, who is probably most famous for the Joy Luck Club, but he also made Smoke as well. Really amazing um, Asian-American sort of pioneering filmmaker. Um, this is kind of set in the kind of pre-Hong Kong handover uh, era. Looks really cool. Um, both of them look fantastic. I'm also kind of intrigued by Kill, which is uh, one of the Scottish films. It's a world premiere. It's about uh, three sons who like try and kill their father in the woods. Um, oh, yeah. it just looks like a really kind of nifty little thriller kind of like maybe Deliverance vibes I'm getting from it um, but that's sight unseen I haven't seen it but uh, it looks cool so so those are all good recommendations you can find out more about all of those and get tickets for any of them or all of them if you want to um, at eif.co.uk um, and I think that is us covered the Edinburgh Film Festival yes we've done it we have successfully no blips <laughs> No gaffes, no gaffes, no, smooth. Yeah, smooth as butter. This thing's just going straight on the yeah. internet. Why do we just live stream these? That's just perfect. Yeah. There. <laughs> and on that note, um, yeah. So thank you to EHFM for having us again. Thanks for Jamie for getting us set up. EHFM.live. Listen to the only good radio station. It's very good. Um, speaking of passages we have some tickets left for the free screenings that we're doing in glasgow and edinburgh in september you can get those at the skinny.co.uk slash tickets thank you lewis thank you thank you anna heat thank you cheers jamie cheers beer and uh thanks from me thank you all for listening please do tell people that this podcast is very good very professional and incredibly <laughs> serious <laughs> bye everybody bye, bye.